Hey, it's Kyle Felling with KBIA, and we're still in the middle of our membership drive, still working towards making our goal, and we could use your help. You can pledge right now, safely and securely, on our website. It's at kbia.org. Hello and welcome to Como Explained, KBIA's local podcast where we take on the thorny issues or curious questions you have about the place we live. I'm Ryan Famuliner, a regular co-host, and here in the studio we have our other now regular co-hosts, Abigail Keel. Hello. And Jack Howard. Hello. How are you guys, how are you guys doing today? Um, great, because Good. today's topic is uh, something very, very close to my heart. Yeah, see, to me, it's really foreign. Uh, I don't really know how to talk about this topic. Yeah, it, it's, yeah, I can understand that. We're actually talking about KBIA, uh, the place that <laughs> I work and you guys work, because we had a few questions about it over the years. And actually, there's, uh, as we've talked about this show and, and look, put out questions to our Reddit crowd about what we want to talk about, there's inter- some interesting changes coming, too, to KBIA. So we're going to talk about it finally That's for you right. guys out there. Yeah, so. so basically we had a question from one of our listeners on Reddit uh, around the beginning of Como Explained, uh, like a year ago. And they said, why does KBIA play so much classical music? A question I've asked myself many a time <laughs> around uh, 11 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yeah, actually 9 in the morning is when we usually start playing classical music from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. And then uh, we'll carry All Things Considered and a few other programs, depending on what day it is. And then from 7 at night to 4 in the morning the next day, more classical. classical. Who listens to classical at, at like, 1 a.m.? I feel like you have to be, like, really gone to... I don't know. Really gone or just, like, a Graveyard shift. Who, I don't know, really (laughs) enjoys chilling out with a glass of red wine or something at 1 in the morning. I don't know. Um, I don't know what our average 1 a.m. listener is. We haven't done much research on that. At KBIA. Anyway, we have some good news for our Reddit listener and probably some of our other listeners, don't we? Yeah, actually we do. Um, that KBIA is going to acquire KWWC, which is 90.5 on your FM dial. It's going to be an all-classical station, uh, pending FCC approval and a few other things. Um, and so on KWCC, we're going to do that. And then on KBIA, from 4 a.m. to 7 p.m. will be news. So we're going to be filling a lot of those holes that were filled with classical uh, with some new news programming, at least new to KBIA. And then overnight, there'll still be some classical music. But right. still, let's explain a little bit why we had classical in the first place. Yeah, right? and even how we got to this point, because um, something we'll talk about later is that this kind of change is actually a change that's been happening in a lot of radio stations um, NPR stations, mm-hmm, especially. NPR yeah. stations in the past few years. So we're going to go way back to 1972, which is when KBIA was founded. And I talked to some of the some of the dudes that were involved with the founding of KBIA here at the J School. But basically, the J School kind of recognized that there weren't really local news station in the market at the time on the FM. And um, they wanted a lab for students to be able to work in because here at the J School, we have the Missourian, which is our newspaper where students can work. And we have the TV station, same deal. They wanted a radio station. So the J School kicked in a bunch of money to help open KBIA as a dual format station. And basically what that means is that half the time they'd be playing some news and half the time they'd be playing classical music. One of the reasons that they wanted to include classical music in their programming, Mike Dunn, who's the general manager here at KBIA, explained to me was that at the time, you know, it wasn't like today where you could just get any kind of music at the touch of a button. If you wanted to hear classical music, you were going to have to have your own collection of classical. So it was really kind of considered part of um, the university's like mission to preserve this part of our culture. 
it was like a public service basically to the area of Columbia to be broadcasting classical music. So here's how Mike Dunn put it. But one of the things that's changed over time is that your access to classical music was quite limited. You know, it's only been a few years that people had satellite radio where there's multiple classical channels and an opera channel and a vocal channel and, you know, people can sign up for all these different uh, services like Pandora or Spotify or, or whatever they might be using and you can get music from a lot of other places that you could not in 1972. And in 72, you had a big library or you listened to us. Yeah, so my grandparents kind of are a good example of that. They actually get their easy listening classical music station that I have to listen to at our lake house from their TV. So like their direct <laughs> TV, like, and at one point that was probably a radio station, but now they, uh, they have these rocks that play easy listening that's hooked <laughs> up to their, <laughs> that's hooked so up to their TV. So in addition to all the movies, they also get easy listening. Yeah. And so again, at the time in 1972 made perfect sense. You're establishing this new uh, news endeavor as well, which is just going to cover up a little bit of the time, but it's not practical that you're going to be able to cover 24 hours with this new, completely new project. Right. right. NPR was also very new Yeah. Um, in 1972. In fact, NPR started in 1970. I think we should kind of explain what NPR is, what KBIA is, how we all work together in <laughs> what this do beautiful all those world. acronyms mean? Yeah, it's right. very complicated to a lot of people because it's different than like TV stations work or uh, a lot of other media outlets you might think, uh, might think you know a little bit about anyway. Just like everything, it's actually more boring than you might think it would be as well. So NPR is really this national entity that produces a lot of these different programs. And then there's stations like us that are member stations uh, and also just other stations that carry some of that programming. There's a, Like KOPN. Like KOPN is not technically a member station because that's a classification that NPR makes uh, for the type of relationship they have with you and the money you spend and all that kind of stuff. So we're not actually owned by any NPR in any way. Most stations, almost every station is not. Most of them actually are fairly similar to us. Uh, I, mean, I shouldn't say most, but many are similar to us where they are held by a university licensee or sometimes there's also community radio organizations. But it's kind of a ragtag group of different types of ownership structures and things like that because of the nature of how NPR grew in the 70s, um, you know, on these small FM, sometimes AM stations. And so we have this relationship with NPR where we carry their national content on our local air. We pay for that programming with money that we get from our variety of different sources as, a, as an agency. But we're not actually in any sort of, other than those arrangements of getting the, the content, we're not in any sort of contractual ownership structure or anything like that. And the road goes both ways, right? We send, a lot, we send content to NPR to carry some of our local coverage and things like that as well as a member station. Since NPR isn't a local station, they don't have the things that we have to raise money like fund drives. Um, speaking of which, a fund drive starts Wednesday. Yes. So uh, listen in and donate. <laughs> Help promote your favorite show. Go Mugs, please. Okay, anyway. Um, plug, plug, plug. So they don't have fund drives. And the way that NPR makes money is actually through all their member stations. So we buy their shows. We pay the money and then they send us their shows and we can play those. And we get money from our fund drives – and also from some other sources like the university, the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, which is a national corporation that was kind of started by Congress back around the time of NPR. And the Corporation for Public Broadcasting basically gives like 
grant money, essentially, to all these local member stations. And we also get some money from basically advertisers. Yeah, don't say advertisers. Oh, I'm sorry. Don't say I'm advertisers. Sorry. That's a bad word. Underwriters. underwriters. There is a big difference between advertisers and underwriters. Like, um, you can only say specific things. about. Like, I can't say there's a sale at Joe Mockins this weekend, right? Which is why Joe Mockins, not the only reason, but why they don't really advertise because, like, they can't talk about their sales. We can say Joe Mockins is located Hypothetically. at 15. Hypothetically. Yes. <laughs> we could say, yeah. <laughs> we could say Joe Mockins is located at 1515 Vandiver Drive or whatever. I don't think that's real, but maybe I'm – Reciting from is this <laughs> an underwriting? Oh, crap. <laughs> um, but underwriting is there's some in- interesting rules about what can be underwriting. But yeah, but it's essentially a similar idea where the programming is sponsored by or underwritten by an entity in town. Oftentimes, they're just looking for name recognition when they get that out there. But we can, we can only give certain information in those underwriting. So it's different than advertising. The other small portion that some stations do, some don't, is you can get private grants. Like we have grants for some of our different reporting projects for like our health reporting and our agriculture reporting. We go to different foundations or maybe even special grants from CPB to fund those kinds of projects. So we have this like mishmash of different funding, which actually makes it also a lot different than television stations, for example, because television stations get all their money right from advertising, and that's it. Like, everything they do drives that advertising. But we are actually driven by all these different sources because of this. Because if we're asking our donors to give us a large portion of our annual budget, we have to make sure and provide a very good value to that local audience, right? That's right. And that connects back to the idea of why we play classical music is because some of our listeners are very interested in that. And, you know, while Mike Dunn told me actually that our listeners that are interested more so in news versus classical outnumber the classical listeners by four or five to one. Mm -hmm. But those classical listeners are still out there and they might not be as numerous as they were back in 1972, but they're still there and, and they're still giving money. So that's part of the reason why classical is still an important thing on the radar of our public radio station and also a lot of other public radio stations around the country. Mm -hmm. Yeah, still a very important part of our audience. Um, Yeah, and so uh, one thing I can talk a little bit about is the newsroom here at KBIA. So as you said, when we found it originally uh, back in the 70s was back, you know, not too far after Murrow was really strong on the radio, things like that. There was a lot of radio news happening in the 70s, even at the local scale. So having that type of training ground was great. And it was uh, a robust training program for years here. One thing that's interesting about the newsroom is that it actually ceased to exist back in the late 1990s and early 2000s. There was no local news production happening here at KBIA for a variety of reasons that are too boring and probably political to go into here. It just fell apart. It shortly it, it dwindled and dwindled until there was no longer any actual local news production happening at KBIA or just carrying those national programs and classical music. Um, and then in, in the early 2000s, there, was a, there were a lot of things that happened, right? Mike Dunn had been a general manager for a while and, and saw the interest in bringing the newsroom back. We had a new dean. Dean Mills uh, was still relatively new as well, and, and uh, he also saw the need for this. But there's also this kind of interesting story uh, from one of my old bosses, Bob Pretty at the Missouri Net. Some of you may know who he is. Uh, he just was retiring, actually, uh, this year after running that uh, radio network for 40 years. Uh, down in Jefferson City. So anyway, the story goes like this. He's a very proud uh, MU grad, and he was in Arizona visiting family uh, when Mel Carnahan's plane crashed, and he died a few days before the Senate race uh, that he ended up winning as a dead man. He beat John Ashcroft. But anyway, so when that plane crash happened, Bob drove back from Arizona quickly because he's a state house reporter to cover that story because it's the biggest story that probably happened in his career. On his drive back, he's listening to NPR to get the latest information on that story, because that's really the only place he could get it on the radio while he's driving back in the early 2000s. 
And while he's driving, he's hearing reports, but they're all coming out of Kansas City and St. Louis. And this drives him crazy because he knows about KBIA. When he, it was after he was a student, but he knows the history of KBIA and its local reporting and its ability to train students to, to, to do all this type of stuff. And uh, the fact that there was no reporting coming out of Columbia just drove him crazy. And the story goes that he tells, and I've heard uh, corroborated here a few places, is that he wrote this strongly worded letter uh, to the dean and to Mike and uh, a few other people here um, about how, you know, there really is a shame that there's not uh, an NPR local station, local newsroom, I should say, uh, here in Columbia. And uh, shortly after, uh, there was a, a resurgence of it, uh, hired a news director, uh, a few years later made that news director a faculty member. Um, and then it's grown since then. Uh, we, you know, from one position, uh, we peaked up to like eight and a half full-time positions at KBIA, uh, professional staff and faculty. Uh, we're down a few more positions now, but it's going to continue to come and go. Um, that's just the nature of public media given grants and all those types of things. Uh, but there's a, been an incredible amount of growth here at KBIA, and now we have this really uh, resilient and fantastic local news operation that brings you great programming, like Omo explained. Cut that out. That was dumb. Having local news is a super important function of a radio station, especially a public radio station that considers itself, you know, part of this mission to serve the public. Classical music is maybe becoming less of an important part of that today, which there's kind of an interesting example, right, Jack, of a a station in Washington, D.C. that kind of had a similar sort of identity crisis. KBI isn't really alone in what's going on. This may be a doomsday for some of the public. Some might argue that this goes against the public good, so that KBI has an an obligation to serve what's best in culture. And some would argue, as Andrew Ferguson did in the Weekly Standard in 2005, about WETA stopping its classical music, and he described it as beautiful and intelligent music. Classical music. Classical music, Mm -hmm. that the station had an obligation to serve the public good even if it's kind of a fossil. But mm-hmm. like some would argue that NPR member stations have an obligation to do these things because of their founding mission and because of history of doing this. But at the same time, a lot of the public isn't really served by Mozart or that mm-hmm. because the technology has changed. The opportunity to hear classical music has changed from the 70s. And so I would say that we should change too. Technology changes, we should change as well with the availability. Right, and I think that that's kind of what was on KBIA's mind when they were considering this, you know, this new deal where we're going to acquire this new station. And two stations, one with news and one with classical music, really is kind of the best of both worlds because we can still kind of stay true to that old-timey preservation idea of keeping classical music alive and keeping it a part of our culture, which, you know, I think a lot of people would argue is – Maybe not important to the youngins, but um, still like an important part of our culture. But we can also still have, you know, we can have the local news. We can have the national news. We can have this all news station that people like you and me, you know, younger people maybe and older people are going to be interested in being able to turn on 91.3 and hear news all day. Yeah, because to be honest, I love public radio more than anybody, but I have never, ever listened to KBIA 91.3 FM. Blasphemy. And I think I think that's kind of a, an absurd notion, you know, that someone who likes radio and who discovered radio from public radio stations that played all news. Well, you know, my parents um, would play NPR in the car when I was a kid and I hated it because I thought it was really boring. <laughs> <laughs> and they didn't even have classical music then <laughs> in St. Louis. But um, 
but then I started listening to podcasts when I was in high school and I had a job where I worked in a park and I had to pick up trash all by myself. <laughs> and so I was really bored and music was getting old. So I started downloading podcasts. And that's one of the ways that NPR has really moved forward in terms of podcasts like like you were talking about that you mm-hmm. listened to picking up trash. KBIA will probably change as well. You know, classical music being this kind of like outdated thing, mm-hmm. this new two station thing is a solution, but there are also other things happening in the world of public media that are helping too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you and I might not be the biggest classical listeners, but those people are out there. They're going to be able to get that classical music now with second station. And people like us are going to be able to get the news that we want. Um, and, and even some of the more, you know, unique like talk show content and and kind of this this podcast content that has become so popular, you know, within the last like five or 10 years. It's probably it's what you and I listen to. And it's what I think a lot of especially the younger audiences of public media are starting to become more interested in. And so it's, it's sort of part of this wave of the future, I think, is these podcasts and also some services that NPR is starting to offer, like um, NPR One. Yeah, NPR One is this interesting, relatively new product that NPR is deciding to offer that allows you as a listener to listen to NPR One and hear national content, but also hear local content sprinkled in. It's kind of like actually Pandora for news. It's probably one of the easiest ways to think about it, if you know Pandora, the music offering. And so what it does is we will ingest some of our local content that'll be pulled into NPR One, and you'll be able to listen to that intermingled uh, with some of this national content. So it's kind of interesting. NPR does this because you mentioned earlier, Abigail, that uh, a lot of the funding structure is that we get money from CPB and it funnels back up to NPR. And the new media landscape that people can listen to anything they want on demand and, uh, you know, select their own stories, not to listen to everything. We can't just make everybody listen to our radio station because they live here. They can listen to whatever they want. Any NPR station, really most, they can listen to any local station through their streaming, through their phone. Um, and that's a challenge for our local stations. Um, so that's why we have to have this really great local content, right? I mentioned that earlier, uh, to make sure that our audience is, ga- is engaged, still will donate to us during pledge drives, still is just listening to us. That's still important to us for underwriting and, and just and, and lots of other things, grant writing, all that kind of stuff. So that local content is what makes KBI valuable. Yes, that's what we believe. That's how we, that's how we believe we, we can survive as a local newsroom, frankly, is if we provide important value to our listeners. If we don't, then why on earth would they give us some money for a $20 gift certificate to Shakespeare's? I don't think so. We have to be able to offer that kind of content to people. And so for NPR, the value of those local stations is really important. If all the local stations just dried up and disappeared and stopped paying for those programming, NPR dries up as well. And so uh, that's also why when you hear the you know, debate about in Congress about defunding NPR and CPB. It's like, well, it's not really money that goes straight to NPR anyway. It's funneled straight, funneled through those smaller stations around the country. So NPR One is interesting. It's like, it's still new. It's still quasi-experimental. I don't know if it's the best way to do it, but it's what NPR came up with and it's interesting. And we're trying to do our best to get plugged into that NPR One content. That's right. Yeah. So there's all these kinds of like New things happening, I think, in the world of public media, but it's also a super exciting time for KBIA, and I think, you know, this new announcement is part of that. What Mike Dunn told me was that um, they're hoping, you know, pending FCC approval for this new kind of second station, they're hoping to have all these kinks and knots worked out by, like, February of 2015, so you can look out for 91.3 for news and 90.5 for classical music around that time. And um, something fun Mike told me was that 
they will be changing the call letters for that station, which are currently KWWC. And um, they'll be, you know, looking for some listener contributions for ideas for new call letters. So if you got an idea, then you can send us an email. Hopefully we answered our Reddit listener's question, and hopefully we gave him even more information about public radio than he ever wanted to know, because that's, you know, what we love to do. Thanks again for listening. Make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes. Check out our webpage at kba.org for pictures and charts and all kinds of cool information. And stay tuned for our next episodes. We appreciate your support.